the world is whatever world God calls you into. And to understand is uh, Jesus said it in John chapter 10, verse uh, 27, my sheep know my voice and they follow. There's two parts to that. You don't want to be hearing God and disobeying. And so it's always listen and obey and then never give up, never quit. Just keep on, keep on, keep on, and you will watch what God has said, but not in your time, in his time. And so it's a, it's a, a thrill to walk with God. Now, I had an advantage, as did Darlene. Uh, she's seven generations of preachers or missionaries, and I'm eight generations. And so it's uh, something as we look at those standing before us, we stand on their shoulders. But my granddad Cunningham, he was called the walking Bible. He had memorized so much of the Bible. He never took a Bible to pulpit, didn't have to. He could quote chapters or whatever. And uh, I used to, as a kid, listen and see if he made a mistake. Never saw one mistake ever. And, uh, but he, he would travel as a Bible teacher. Granddad Nicholson, he was an evangelist church planter. And so he took his five children and his wife into a covered wagon. Yes, it was a long time ago. And they would go from town to town and four of them were, magician, uh, were, were singers and, and, uh, and musicians. And so they all played different instruments. They'd get on the street corners. There was no TV at home, you know. And then the crowds would come because there's some, something come to town. And that's where they would then share the gospel. I know mom, she was 12 years old when she first preached on the streets, her first sermon. I didn't get to preach my first sermon until I was 13. I was with Billy Graham. I, I served on one of his boards for 10 years. And, and uh, I learned that he preached his first sermon on the streets at Tampa, Florida, when he was 16. And he spoke eight minutes. I spoke 10 minutes. I felt so good. <laughs> but... Uh, now people pray for that time to come again, but I, my prayers are stronger than theirs, so I don't speak 10 minutes anymore. <laughs> but at age 13, uh, it was a Monday night, and I just heard a message on the Great Commission. And uh, I went forward and knelt and prayed. And that night, the Lord gave me a picture a big blow old letters, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I felt he said to me, I was to go to every country in the world. And I didn't know how many there were, probably 30 or 40 of them. I had no idea. But I said, yes, you don't have to know the details, but you do have to know it's God. And you want to not only on big issues, you want to know not only what it was said, but that it would be confirmed and that it would also, by, by the word of God, in written form, that it's nothing in contradiction to God's word. Now, I know they didn't have TV back there, and if you're 
told to have a TV program. Well, well, it's not going to be in the Bible that way. But uh, it's going to be clear what it is and that it is not anti-scriptural. Thirdly, God will tell you on big issues ways that you could not do yourself. You can't fool yourself. That's the hardest part as you're listening to God. But within that, that way, there's amazing ways that God's going to use your gifts, your callings, and he's not only your natural gifts, but your spiritual gifts. And as it flows, it's a beautiful thing to see how it does go. And so mom came, I went to mom, my mother, and uh, we'd been on a holiday and dad had to go back to the pulpit early. And uh, so we were still there. And I said, mom, God's called me to preach. And she said, that's good, son. And so she took me down and uh, the next day, and she said, now, she bought me a new pair of shoes. She said, now put them on. And she said, remember this, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. And later that day, a brother came to me and he said, did you get called to preach Monday night? I said, yes. He said, would you preach in my church this Thursday night? I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, that's the way it began. I was 17 and there were 12 of us guys that felt we should go to Mexico para predicar el Evangelio de Jesucristo. So we went and in our broken Spanish, preached the gospel and we saw many people saved. Nobody would sponsor us. There was no organization that would sponsor young people doing things cross-culturally in other nations. But uh, I just couldn't help but seeing how God was confirming something before he gave me even the guidance he was preparing me. And at that time, I was just entering into UCLA and my university experiences. And as I uh, was into UCLA, the Lord uh, told me uh, when I was 18, I'd been working ever since I was 11, I started selling newspapers on the streets and so on. And so I was always, always busy after school and into the evenings. And so by the time I was 18, I, I owned a four bedroom home, brand new, right across the highway from where they were gonna build Disneyland in Anaheim. And uh, fully furnished, rented out, never stayed there a night, but uh, I also had some real estate down by a lake and I had two cars and I was 18 years old. At 19, the Lord said, I want you to sell it all except one car and go and study the Bibles, which I did. I was there a couple of years, uh, a couple of weeks, and uh, I felt I should do something with what I was learning. I was really excited. We were into the Gospels at that time, the Synoptic Gospels. So I, I went out and, uh, with another guy, and he, after a couple of weeks, he had to go home for personal problems uh, there with his family. But uh, we started in church. Now, that was not new to me. That was, that was something my brother had done and my parents. They, they did, started a lot of churches. And so this is something, if you look ahead, I was just speaking at the Saddleback Church in December, first week of December, at a missions there with uh, Rick Warren. And uh, 
one of our YWAMers came to me from Madagascar. Oh, Lauren, Lauren, we just started our, let's see, 10,000th church in Madagascar. That's just YWAM. And, and so that is something that is a part of the heritage that God gave us, uh, just passing it on and multiplying it because around the world we've started tens of thousands of churches. And so that's all a part of it. We're pioneers, and that's a good uh, definition of what a, uh, a, a missionary is. They pioneer new things, new ways, and, uh, and so this was something looking ahead. But at age 20, almost 21, I was uh, praying. There were five of us guys going island to island in the Caribbean, Wednesday afternoon in June 1956, uh, I was to speak that night evangelistically uh, to 200 young people. And so I was praying and I said, Lord, I need to know what it is you want me to speak about tonight. And how, what is it, Lord, that I am to pray for? And as I was waiting, I was staying in a missionary's home uh, in a bedroom by myself there, I was praying by the bed, and I saw waves. Now, I grew up near Santa Monica. I loved to surf. And uh, I didn't, never did have a surfboard, because Malibu guys, they had the money. They had the surfboards. We, we just used our chest. And uh, our, my little group, we, we always believed it was the ninth wave was the big one. And so we would always count for the ninth wave. There was another group on the same beach there in Santa Monica. They said, no, it's the seventh wave. They were a different denomination from us. And so, you know, you have your differences. But ours, we were sure about the ninth wave. And so when I was praying, I start, started to see waves. God loves to speak to you in your own language, including uh, some of the things you do. And he will use that as a metaphor for you of what he wants to accomplish. And so as, as I saw these waves, I started counting them. But the waves got bigger and bigger and bigger, and beyond the ninth, it just kept getting bigger. And they went further. By this time, I was above the earth looking down at all the continents. And uh, I saw the waves going over all the continents. This is not just a moment on this. Hold that one right there. And uh, all the continents had waves going across them in great waves. And uh, until there was a time where there were young people going from everywhere to everywhere. Hold that thought. The source was not just Americans going. It was from everywhere to everywhere, and it covered the earth by the millions. Now, we're not there yet. We're not there. We've had over 5 million in YWAM short term. But long term, this was something that uh, had both short and long term that now we have many tens of thousands long term. But uh, we work in 191 locations, uh, excuse me, nations, and we have over 2,000 locations that are permanent. And our YWAMers have been to every nation, every dependent country, including uh, they were the first ones to ever evangelize publicly 
in Antarctic that we can find. And so we have literally tried to do exactly what God had said. So as I was seeing this back in 1956, I didn't know what to do with this. It was millions. I couldn't say, okay, I'm going to have millions. I, this is something God wanted to do. And so I said, if you're going to do that, I want to be a part of that. And, uh, but I held that word for three years when the Lord said, I, I was waiting for someone outside to confirm it. I didn't, I held it in my heart like Mary did. She pondered it in her heart. Don't go blabbing to everybody because if Mary had have done that, there could have been a miscarriage because she go, oh, Joseph, guess what happened, you know? And God had to speak to Joseph. God had to prepare Joseph. God had to prepare even her cousin, Elizabeth, and others. And, and this is something we must understand. God had to speak to the, the it was first, not, not the kings. I'm sorry about your, your nativity scene. But he didn't speak to them. They came two years late. And uh, it was the shepherds that he went to with the angels first who came, and when they came to the manger, they didn't go, woo, animals, oh, terrible. No, they lived among the animals. See, and he comes to you in the environment of people, in the understanding of people. You don't shock them with some religious uh, terminology. You, you go within to, to their world with them in terms of, well, not every, every kind of word they use. You be careful about some of those words. But... Uh, I, I had to learn Spanish, you know, with my Spanish-speaking friends there in, in Los Angeles, and uh, later had to unlearn some of the language. But uh, when I found out what they meant, but we, we have to be into the world like Jesus came into the world, and there he was able to minister life. And so when I have seen this big wave, I want to tell you now, fast forward, that Recently, I'm talking in the last 10 years, the Lord has said a bigger wave is coming. And this is going to be the biggest wave the world has ever seen. Now, there's a, there's a scripture in, in uh, Psalms, uh, rather Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and Mighty God. But he says, to the increase of his government, there will be no end. Wow, what a thought. And then verse 7 says, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. It's going to be. And I'm saying, I want to be a part of this. And this is going to be a big wave because it needs to be because of the population. Ralph Winters was one of those dear friends. And uh, he, well, Corey Tinboom, I think, was the first one. She came over. We, we loved Corey. She we stayed in her home over in Byron, and then she came to California later. And, but uh, we, we had a wonderful part in her life. And she was out teaching in Kona after we'd just arrived. We were camping out in Kona. <laughs> I mean, literally camping out. We had 
tents up on a farm. We had rented places all over the place. And 210 of us had invaded a little community that didn't even, when we first arrived, we didn't have a grocery store. KTA came along later. But uh, we had to go up to a, another uh, town, Malka, and, uh, and just to get groceries. And his, she said, Lauren, you know, with her Dutch accent, she said, did the Lord really call you here? You know, like, yeah. yeah. And uh, we should have gone to a big city, you know, that was the concept. And then uh, uh, Bill Bright was with us, and he, he questioned again, and, and so did Ralph Winters. And uh, so we said, no, the Lord told us to come here. That's, that's the place. We didn't go into all the details of, of how he guided us. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is really important. And uh, the reason God told us to go somewhere, we didn't have to know. We had to know that he told us. And that was really what it was all about. And he told us to buy the old Pacific Hotel with its nine-hole golf course that had all grown up. And, uh, and they wanted $8 million. And the Lord said, that's not a fair price. It's $1.8 And so... Uh, yeah, that's, that's a part of the story. But uh, God had to provide. That would be the answer, but he had to allow us to get his price as well. And so, and understanding these details, he gives it to you along the way. In Psalms 119, verse 105, it says there that he's the lamp to your feet, but he's a light to your pathway. Now, the pathway is the big picture. If he gives you the big picture first, like he did me, the, the waves were all over the world and going to every nation and so on, 1956. In the uh, middle of June, I can just, you know, it's just alive to me today as it was then. And, and so you, you have that clarity, but you need this, the lamp to the feet for the next step. Those are little things. And people say, well, I got the big picture. I'm going for it now. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> That's not too, too smart to do. You take the steps as they come. And God will amaze you in the ways that you do it. So in the same way, God had called us, and we were going all over the world at the time in the, in the uh, 1960s. And uh, Darlene and I had been, uh, after our marriage in 1963, uh, we literally never had more than a day or two apart during that time. Sometimes I was on one island, had to go to another, and, and she stayed on that island or wherever. But in, in, we asked the Lord in 1967, Lord, why don't you increase our staff? You know, we had 32 of them. And, you know, they were scattered in different parts of the world. And we said, why don't you do that? He said, I want you to start a school. And that was the first time we were separated more than a day or two. And in the same week of our separation, she was called to a fast in California. I was called to a fast in New Zealand. And when we heard the voice of the Lord, we heard the same thing. I heard the same thing in New Zealand she did in California. 
that we were to go to a place called Switzerland and start a school that would be different than any other school we'd ever seen. I went to not only uh, after Bible school, I went back to USC, University of Southern California, went on into both undergraduate, graduate, and, uh, but I understood education, that's one of my degrees. And uh, he was saying, no, don't look in that way. If you wanna think outside the box, watch and listen to God and he'll take you where you haven't been because he wants to at some time. At, and when he wants you to do something, it's going to be something he tells you. And so be careful of, with the details. So he told us both, both of these, go to Switzerland. And secondly, start a school. Only have visiting teachers one after another, one week, and let the teacher take the whole week. And only invite teachers who have done and are doing what they teach. Now, one of my uh, thesis I was doing at USC was, was on the subject, how can we uh, finish the Great Commission by uh, seminaries and, and Bible schools. And I, I did a study on them in 72 locations in 42 nations. And I was so downhearted after finding my, some of the stats. And I found one place out in India where 100% came to go full-time in the work of the Lord in ministry. And at the end, only 4% would go. I thought they've taken something from them. They didn't give something to them. There was no impartation. It was the opposite. And then I began to understand why. When you try to teach what you haven't done, you don't have the authority to impart. But teachers that have done, why, we got Brother Andrew, we had Corey Tinboom, we had Joy Dawson, we had all of these amazing people, Duncan Campbell on revival and the difference between that and the spiritual awakening. And we were, we were being stretched in every direction. And as we were, were doing so, it was absolutely amazing the impartation that was coming to young people. And they were... They were getting on fire and suddenly the Iron Curtain meant nothing. We started through the Iron Curtains. It didn't matter. I remember we were, we were, I had a whole group of 34 of us. We were going from, uh, we'd been in the Middle East. We always took them into uh, to, to first Catholic and Protestant area, communist area, uh, Muslim area, and Jewish area. And so on the one time of three months, we'd, we'd learn to evangelize in these different kinds of areas. And uh, so we were going into the communist area after we'd been in Yugoslavia before, that was mild. But we were going to Bulgaria and Romania, and at that time, they were, they were throwing everybody in prison for evangelizing. So I wanted to be sure I had the right ones. And, and we had three vehicles, and so one of them, we call it the Lord's Ford, no one else wanted it, and, uh, and, and it had just been into Bulgaria with a load of Bibles, and, and therefore, and came back to Greece, and then 
we're ready to go into Greece with two other vehicles, and the Lord's Ford couldn't go back again because they would recognize it. So it had to go through Yugoslavia, and we were going to go into Bulgaria. And you, can't, you, you don't know what it's like in this time. Young people have no idea what socialism is, but it's when it, everybody, no one has any rights to make any decisions for yourself anymore. You have no creativity, and be, before long it all implodes. 70 years is all you get. And, and so when that happens, and I was, in, I was in Moscow in 1961, I was in Poland, Czechoslovakia. I was in, in uh, Eastern, East Germany, all in 61. I mean, you, you want to know what socialism, I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I'm not getting political. I'm very philosophical. But when you understand that, and we're going into it, and, we, and uh, so I asked the Lord. I said, now, Lord, I want to get the right ones. And we had to have two drivers for insurance purposes, and there were only six drivers altogether. And we have to have uh, one married couple with each vehicle. And I said, now, Lord, would you speak to them which vehicle they're to go with? Because our green petite, it would take 14. Our, our, our uh, blue beast, that was an old bakery truck, turned into a van. And it would take 14. And then the Lord's four would take nine. And so I, I, I got them all together, and there was a table that where we were. And I said, now, even married couples, go seek the Lord separately. Write down what the Lord tells you and turn it in. I know you're to go together, but just make sure you know where you're going because we could all go into prison. And so put it on the table. They did. I had nine with two drivers and a married couple go with the Lord's Ford. I had 14 with the married couple and two drivers go with the Blue Bees, and I had 11 with the others, and of course I was one of the drivers too. And we, so I, I went with confidence. But when you go up to the border, you, you have all this friendly welcome, you know, at the border of Bulgaria, a, a socialist nation at the time. And, and here we're, towers with guns pointing down at you. Oh, it makes you feel welcome. And there were dogs up and down, you know, for anybody trying to sneak in another way or out. They all wanted to come out. And, uh, and, and you know, they opened up the gates and we drove in the two with the green and the blue and pulled up. And uh, when we did, a man came out, he spoke perfect English. And I was in the front vehicle and he said to me, get your people out, go inside, and we will, we will uh, search your vehicles. Now we had hidden Bibles for Romania, not Bulgaria. We'd already had Bibles into uh, Bulgaria. Now had we been caught, we would have been in prison. We knew that. So only two of us, I and the guy that helped me put it there, we put it inside and then riveted the sides of the Blue Beast, loaded with Romanian Bibles. And, uh, and so it's okay, we never lied, you just didn't tell them all you knew. And uh, it's all right, that Brother Andrew taught me that. And he was calling God smuggler. He's one of my dearest friends. And so as, as we went in, Get, they're all going in. 
dear redheaded Gary, he's sitting in the second seat in my car, and, uh, and, and I'm standing now out with the border guard. And I said, Gary, come on, you're supposed to go in. He said, yeah, but what do I do with the Bibles? <laughs> Gary, God called us to youth, you know, and some of them, <laughs> they're not as wise as others. I said, Gary, get in. He said, yeah, but the Bible, he was talking about his Bible. He had a great big Bible. I said, get inside. You know, daggers with the eyes. Oh, okay, and he went inside. I kept watching. They didn't search us. Ah, felt really good. Till we got over into Romania. Now, big lines. They were taking apart cars. Extra, even the, the, the spare tires, they'd go into them and see if there's any smuggling and so on. Ooh, I thought, we're never going to make it this time. Oh, boy. Because they're taking, even testing the, the coverings over the inside of the car and the doors and so on. I thought, we didn't hide them at all. Ooh. So I'm, I'm standing there watching, and the border guard couldn't speak English, but he had a translator, but he spoke you know, one word or two at a time. And uh, he opened the door. That was the Blue Beast, and it had two wide doors. Opened it up, and there's Gary. He's got his great big Bible, and he's having his morning devotions. <laughs> now, we teach him to do that. That's all right. But not there. <laughs> and the guy with the border guard, you know, he had a nice big hat and everything, and he said to him, visa. Gary had put his visa. It was just a card, not a, in the passport. Uh, some of the, that's the way some of the countries would do the, in the Iron Curtain days. And so he's looking for it and looking for it and couldn't find it, his visa. And the guy said, you, Bulgaria. Others, Romania. In other words, he's going to send him back to Bulgaria. And... Gary, oh man, even his freckles showed up. And uh, he was really scared. And then he looked and he saw the guy was teasing him. And, and Gary laughed and he reached up and knocked the guy's hat off. Oh man. It had been raining and there was a puddle. It fell into the puddle. I watched why they call them red, you know, communists were red. And I, I backed off and sat down on the bench. I wanted to get a little distance so he could cool off before he told me what they were gonna do to us. He paced back and forth. And finally he said, turned around, looked at me, go, all go, go, go. He decided, I'm not gonna put them all in jail. Let's get him out of here. Thank God for Gary. <laughs> he later joined the U.S. military, and this causes me concern about America. They, <laughs> they put him in intelligence. I'm serious, because of his experience behind the Iron Curtain. And I thought, oh, God help America. You know, walking with the Lord, I was in Tauranga, New Zealand, 
and uh, and and there, uh, somebody asked me. I was, I was speaking in the evening, but not that day. And they said, "Would you uh, mind going with us to a luncheon of the most famous psychologist in in New Zealand, uh, Dr. Dawson?" And she's going to give her testimony. I said, "I'd like to go." And so they sat me down at the just across from where the speaker would be. She was late coming in and began her story. As she gave her story, she said, I've been an atheist all my adult life. All of my, all of my uh, staff, if they weren't an atheist, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them come. I wouldn't let them uh, work with me. And uh, she said, when I, I had to go up to Dallas, Texas for a specialty that I, I have and uh, a seminar going on up there. And I changed planes in LA, and a man sat by me, an American man, and he looked at me and he said, uh, where are you from? I said, New Zealand, but I didn't want to talk, obviously, and I turned back. And uh, so he sat down and he kept quiet. As we were flying, though, he turned to me and he said, I see that you have a problem with suicide. She said, nobody knew that. Five times I tried. Each time I failed. And, uh, but I didn't say yes or anything. But he didn't wait for me. He just took a scrap of paper and wrote eight steps that lead you to suicide and put a scripture reference beside each step. Then he put three steps back to freedom and put a scripture by it and said what the scriptures were and handed it to me. I looked at it. It was the story, those eight steps of my life. And I just put it in my purse. I didn't say any more. He didn't say any more. But just as I was leaving, he handed me a book and, and, uh, and said uh, a, a, a greeting, a good time here in Dallas or whatever. And when I got back, I still hadn't read the book. I sat down in front of my staff and read through the entire book. It took me two hours. And when I finished, I knelt down and gave my life to Jesus in front of my staff. I pondered that, and I, I thought, you know, she has her principles right. Uh, the story does, according to the word of God. And I, I was marveling at whatever happened. And she said that was 18 years ago. And I've always carried that little piece of paper in my purse. And she pulled it out and held it up. I looked at it. I thought I recognized the writing. And then she pulled out the book. It was this book. And I had signed it to her. Handed it, thought she'd throw it away. And she showed me my signature 18 years before. I didn't even remember the I didn't even remember the occasion until she told me about it.
There was something about the book, talking about listening to God's voice. This book is now in 150 languages. Millions have read it. And what has amazed me is how many have come to Christ through the book, because I was writing it to Christians. And I write to 19-year-olds, so if you're above that, uh, try to remember how you thought at 19. But as we started the first school, the impartation that came in Switzerland was multitudes began to do things immediately. What they had seen, they were able to do and start. We now have 785 locations in the world in which we give what we call a, a discipleship training school. And uh, they are in 163 nations. And out of those, multitudes are coming. But we need to be prepared, and we're not. Why? Because the biggest wave is now coming. Uh, Dr. Dr. Winters uh, had been doing a, a, a research over the growth of Christianity in, rea in ratio with the growth of population. And so he took it all the way from the time of Christ, 2,000 years, not quite. He was finishing it in 1980. He and I were speaking together out in Singapore to 4,000 young people. And he's sitting on the front row writing with a pencil. And as he wrote, he's just finishing it up, and he showed it to me. They're introducing him. And I said, Ralph, i got to have a photocopy. Ah. Oh. Take it, he said, I got it here. You, you, you get my first one. It's all in pencil. I got the first. In the time, 100 years after, I'll give you three or four points. 100 years after Christ, it was at that time, uh, three, one out of 360 on earth were now followers of Christ. 1,000 years after Christ, one out of 220. At 1900, the first time we had a billion people on earth, one out of 27. When it was finished in 1980 with 4.8 billion people on earth, 4.8 billion, it was at that time one out of 10 on earth. In other words, the, the kingdom of God, the government of Jesus is increasing faster than the population. Now turn around, in this decade, there will be eight billion people. What's going to happen between now and then? It's going to be the greatest move of God the world's ever known. And so, as you look at this wave, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. And if God gives you something, write the vision, make it plain, Habakkuk 2 verse 2. And so, as you write it, so others can get involved, but as you watch what God does, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and that's the glory of the Lord is Jesus, John chapter 17. And as you see that, he'll glorify you too with a little of his glory. But with that, you're going to see the cover of the earth of the knowledge of who Jesus is. And it's going to happen because his kingdom is growing faster on a ratio basis than the world's population. If you count 
cultural Christianity, one out of four call themselves Christian. Yeah, I'm Norwegian. I was just there in Norway. Uh, I've been in six nations and three continents in the last uh, in the last uh, three weeks. So uh, in Norway, they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm Norwegian. That's cultural. But we're talking followers of Jesus. Now, when you see the white foam, think of the glory of the Lord. All right? Now, the younger person is being led by a jet ski. Turn it on. And the jet ski takes him up. Toby, one of the, one of the high big wave riders, he told me, you wait till you feel the energy of the wave behind you. That's the Holy Spirit. And when you stay on your own surfboard, don't try to get on Billy Graham's or somebody else's. Stay on your cliff, your calling that is without repentance. And then when you see the white foam coming, that's the glory of the Lord. Don't stop like Peter, you know, Matthew 17, to build three tabernacles. No, you keep going where the glory is not. Everybody wants to go where it is. Go where it's not. In your community, go where it's not. Not where it is. You come there to get fed. Now, when it catches up to you, and it's going to catch up because it's happening all over the world, then as it covers you, say, wait, okay, get refreshed, but come on out. Come on. That's right. Come on out. Come where it's not. Now, let me finish with this. We just, uh, we, Darlene and I had just arrived in Nigeria. I used to teach there when I was 1961. I was 26 years old at the time. And, and so, yes, I'm, I'm 85 this, this June. But my wife is still 21 or 22. I've forgotten which. But uh, so as, as we, we watch what God is doing, the YWAMers listen to God. 24 of them, the youngest was 20, the oldest was 24. And the Lord said, go into the camps of the gorillas. They were the ones killing people, killing people by the hundreds. They were murderers, mass murderers. And they had made leagues with Satan, blood covenants, all kinds of stupid things, uh, evil things, and, and which are stupid too. And, uh, and he said, go in and offer to serve them, wash their dishes, cook for them, clean up their camps. They did it at the risk of their lives. One of them alone had killed over 100 Christians. And as they did this, they, they, listened to, they said, you'll have to listen to us. We'll give you two hours, each one of us, to work on your camp and clean up and serve you. But you have to listen. When we arrived there, September, that had started in July, 900 had laid down their arms. Our YWAMers took it to the police, and they had given their lives to Jesus. And the governor said on TV, what our guns and bullets couldn't do, the love of God has done. And we will give them amnesty if YWAM will rehabilitate them. And so that's how it started. By January of this year, 
they kept moving among them and working among them. 34,000 have come out laying down their arms, solving one of the major problems of the nation. Another is Boko Haram. And I can't tell you what all's going there. I will tell you this, YWAM takes care of 6,000 widows. We work also in sex trafficking. We work in major areas of the world, all kinds of ways. And uh, because Jesus said he wants us to take care of the poor and needy. And then in Matthew 25, he says it's food, drink, clothing, shelter, health care, and visiting the prisoners. That is also the Great Commission. And so we have 28 ships now, and we go into the islands. The greatest, neediest, most difficult areas to reach are the 10,000 populated islands just in the Pacific alone. So the labors are few, and we just were told of the Lord, I want you to go to the We've, we've done stadium evangelism now. We, we would fill, fill two stadiums a night in Brazil, starting at 6.30 to 8.30, and then they would leave and fill it again. And we've done this uh, for years in all continents. And, and he said, now, I want you to go to the stadium, only this time call it the send, and notify through social media those that want to be involved in missions. When I started out with YWAM, uh, it was that verse in chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus said, the labors are few. I said, Lord, I will do my best to motivate labors into the harvest field. But Lord, how are we going to come up with this big wave? And the Lord said, I want you to go to the stadiums now. We went to Orlando last year. And we notified and we filled the stadium with 59,000 young people showing up and saying we want to go into the nations. Call the sin. We didn't advertise big names, big, big bands or anything. Just the sin. And we had a group up from Brazil. They said, you got to come to Brazil. We prayed. We went to Brazil. And we rented the second largest soccer stadium on earth. And in Sao Paulo, biggest one is in Rio. And, and Marumbi, it's called. And we put a notice on the, on the deal, on the social network, and said, if you want to be sent into missions, and that includes, you know, on the job, it includes into universities, it includes into nations of the world, and so on, just... Uh, send in $20, it's local currency, reais, and uh, the amount was uh, $20 as registration that'll secure your place. In five hours, that stadium was filled for something that wouldn't occur until February 8th. That was last August we did this. So last Saturday, a week ago, that stadium was full. But, but they signed up in August. But a week later, we had 150,000 on waiting list. So we took the second stadium. And then we had to take the third stadium. And still, we couldn't do it all, so we had 70,000 on a special streaming video for them. And I want them to show the last video here that I'm going to end with. I've just come from Brazil this week. And uh, 
we we filled these three stadiums. This is yeah, that Allianz, and then this last one was Brasilia, and this one is is the Morundi. Uh, uh, Notice it's the grass is filled, all the stadiums are filled, and we had there's seventy thousand at this one, fifty thousand at the next one. This is the. 50,000, and the next one was, I think, I've forgotten, 30,000, I think it was. Yeah, 30,000, and then 70,000 more, add that up. Then we had 2 million online, watching just in two countries. Brazil had a million, U.S. had a million, and then we had 104 countries, or 102 more countries, online watching the entire deal it was from 10 in the morning to 10 at night we saw miracles of all kinds wheelchair people they gave away their wheelchair they could now walk we had a catholic priest that he said i came in there you might wonder why I, why i would come at a evangelical deal but he said i saw god and the next revival that's going to cover the earth i saw blind people see deaf people here all of these miracles taking place and one of them it was so hot yeah i was there <laughs> it's summertime down there and and uh there's hundreds of people ran out of water and they started to leave and andy bird he's from our base there in kona he leads all of this and He's, he went to the mic. He stands back and prays behind the curtains until God tells him to come out. He came out and he, he said, grab the mic. He said, wait a minute. Don't leave. God's going to send a cloud. I've asked him to send some rain. And a big cloud, and there's puffy white clouds elsewhere, but no other, covered just the size of the stadium, Murumbi Stadium, and just gave a freshing rain over all of them in the heat of the day. Isn't that neat? That, I mean, just a lot of, lot of, lot of things. And uh, uh, I got a picture of a dove. Uh, you know, there's no birds in the stadium that's filled with people. There's, you know, too many people. And, and she's praising the Lord along with everybody else. And a white dove comes and lands. And everybody around her taking pictures with her. You know, but we just saw wonderful things take place. And so many thousands have said we will work over 7,000 I think it was for, for trafficking for sexual trafficking so many were going to work in the university so many are going to go into the nation and so on 49,000 had signed up to go into missions before we even began my time is up but I want to tell you listen to God obey him and uh, read the book and others have and and uh, the one book that is going to be in every language on earth, at least some of it, by the end of this year, because we're working on the last 1,000 languages in YWAM. And uh, we're, we're going to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea.